Welcome back to the Make Account Podcast. I'm Marcus Meir, founder of Meir Group CPAs and the Total Control Accounting System. And I'm Tyler Warner, small business owner with a lot of accounting questions. In this episode, we're talking real estate and taxes. Yes, sir. And we've talked a little bit about real estate the past few episodes, but this one's going to be more geared toward um, kind of what makes it attractive, why, why people build real estate portfolios, what are some of the tax benefits, some of the tax, I guess, what do you call it, what you call traps for the unwary. unwary. <laughs> uh, we'll get into those a little bit. But uh, what we're going to do is kind of break down a real world real estate example. Yep. Um, more and more, I think people are buying like rentals yeah. as a little side investment. Um, I know we've done that personally. Yep. You've got some real estate. Yep. Um, and then, you know, those just kind of grow and grow. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, let's dive into it. Yeah. And I think this will be helpful too, cause it'll kind of walk through all the, the assumptions people make and like, we'll kind of unpack those things. Like, yeah. like I want you to stop me and be like, okay, wait, what about that? What does that exactly mean? Now, that's what I hope we get out of this is like people get an understanding of these little nuances and really start to understand what is, what does basis mean? What does the depreciation look like? Right. Well, how is it taxed? Yeah. What are the loopholes everybody wants to take well, advantage of? Well, I think we sort of let the cat out of the bag. We interviewed... Um, oh, Chris Granger? Yeah, Chris Granger. And I mean, he's coming out there with bold statements like, yeah, I'm, you know, this is my retirement, know. you know? And so like the traditional retirement is these, you know, 401k or Roth you right. know, RA products. And for him to say something, and you've—he's not the only one I've heard say that, right. you know. So I've I got think other friends like that, right? So I think it's worth taking a closer look and saying, like, okay, well, what are the mechanics of this compared to other things, right. you know? Um, yep. So I'm excited to to kind of break it down. All right, let's get into it. All right, start kick us off. Here. Kick us off. Okay, so yeah. our example is a hundred thousand dollar single family home. So let's kind of stay there, um, and that may or may not be in your market, but. Let's mm-hmm. just work. Yeah, work, round, work. I asked for round numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right. So hundred. So let's just kind of work through some basic facts, and then we'll kind of get into what those, how those come out in the numbers. So hundred thousand dollar purchase, twenty percent down. So which would mean you're putting twenty thousand dollars down, uh, which is a standard, right? Okay. Uh, we're not going to get into creative financing and having the the seller finance the yeah. down payment to you. All that. Just let's talk traditional ways. Maybe for another episode, we can talk creative financing and all that. All right. right. So an eighty thousand dollar mortgage. Um, I'm going to say here on an investment property, you wouldn't you wouldn't get a thirty year financing like you would your house. Yeah. Say a twenty year financing, four percent interest, which probably that's probably in the ballpark for investment properties. You're not going to get those great mortgage, you know, personal mortgage rates. Yeah. Um, but I think four four and a half is good enough. Yeah. For usually it's a point over whatever yeah. prime is. Yeah. Because you know it's a little obviously the bank looks at it as a little more uh, risky, right? Than your personal house, you're less likely to default on that. All right, so let's just simple example, $1,000 a month rent. And then we'll kind of work through, I kind of put some rounded numbers for expenses and all that kind of stuff. And I don't want to get too caught up in that, but basically on that on that mortgage, you pay about $3,150 in interest for the year, and you pay about $2,700 in principal. When we kind of work through it with taxes and insurance, I mean, I just kind of estimated of a 1% tax rate, you know, $1,000 for the year, 1% insurance rate. Obviously, those things could vary from market to market. Sure. And then I put 2500 bucks in of maintenance and repairs, just fixes and little odds and ends you're going to have to do. All right. Yeah. Cash flow of 1700 bucks. 
So that's just kind of cash, right? That's just after all everything paid, including the mortgage, which includes your principal, you're at seventeen hundred bucks. That for the year. For the year. Yep. Um, and then we say, okay. Now, how does cash flow and taxable income? Now, this is where I think people need to get an understanding that there's a disparity, right? Because when I say your cash flow is seventeen hundred, well, included in that cash flow as a reduction of your cash flow is principal, right? And we all know if you listen long enough, borrowed money is not taxable when you receive it, the the principal, and it's not okay. deductible when you pay it back. It's paying back principal is not an expense. So if you were saying, how did I do financially? Like, like if I would have produced a, a P and L for this rental property, you would not include the principal paid in the net income. So that's where I want to kind of divert from okay. cash flow. Okay. So yep. you wouldn't include the principal paid as 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 an expense. As an expense. Yes. Okay. Only that's the a interest. good that's a good point yeah. because practically speaking, you do correct include your mortgage payment as like okay when I'm calculating my cash flow, that's right. you know, cash as far as like hitting profit. the bank, correct. it's like okay, all right. Well, this is my you know. My, this is in all other ways, it's Correct. counted as an expense, but that's a good distinction for tax purposes. Correct. Or any 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 financial reporting. You're okay. never going to include your principal. I get it from a how do I make a decision standpoint. That's obviously how does this thing cash flow. That's a function of what did I borrow, how much, what's the mm-hmm. rate. So I get it from a financial perspective of how do you make your decision. But when you're just saying how did the property perform, you don't include principal. It's not an expense. You don't include the expense? You don't you include don't? principal as an expense because it's not. Right, okay. It's a reduction of gotcha. the liability. I was confused when you said yeah. don't include principal. I didn't know what... Correct. Okay. That's what I mean. Okay. All right, so we said we cash flow 1700 bucks, but we got to add back the principal, which was about, what did I have here, about 2650 mm-hmm. So that gets us to, to net income would be 4350 So we just take our cash flow, add back the principal. So now we're at 4350 and we stop there and say, okay, is that what we're going to pay taxes on? And this is where depreciation comes in, right? Everybody talks about depreciation, but I'm not sure everybody understands what depreciation means. Right. Okay. Rental property, specifically residential rental, you depreciate it over 27 and a half years. What does that mean? What that means is you get to divide up the cost of the property, divide it by 27 and a half, and expense, i.e. take as a deduction, that portion every year. So I hadn't run the math here. Um, what is that? So well, it'd, be on, it'd be on the hundred grand, right? Well, that's this is where or the this, eighty. It'd be on rough. No, it real. No. In my example, and this is debatable. Um, in my example, I did it over eighty-five thousand, and I'll tell you why. Okay. In in real estate, from the tax perspective, land is not depreciable. You don't depreciate it. Well, how do you know what the land is as a as in terms of your purchase? When you buy a a, resi, a, a real you know a rental property for a hundred grand, what's the land? Well, a couple different ways. Rule of thumb in most CPA firms is fifteen percent. Like if you bought a rental property, absent you telling me something like, "Hey, Marcus, I bought this property this you know for three hundred, but it's on eighteen acres." That changes the narrative, right? That, okay. But if you said, "I just bought a single family home in a neighborhood. It's on a fifth of an acre lot." That the land is not that much value as a per, you know in terms of the whole. Mm-hmm. So rule of thumb we use is fifteen percent. Unless you told me different. Now Quentin, he's kind of showing me some stuff where we go on the tax assessor website and they'll they'll give a, a value. We'll use that sometimes. But absent that, 
15 is kind of the standard. So $100,000 purchase price, we're assuming 15% is the land or 15,000, which leaves us 85,000 to depreciate. Okay. Okay. 85,000 divided by 27.5 is 3,090. I rounded it up to 3,100. Okay. So if your income before depreciation was 4,350, Take out your thirty one hundred for depreciation. Now you're at twelve fifty. That's your taxable income. So you're. This is maybe. I don't want to get too in the weeds, yep. but I do think like who do you need to? You just count on your CPA to do this. Yes. Okay. Yeah, because it's it's while it's twenty seven and a half years, depending upon when you bought the property in the first year affects that, right? So if you bought that property in April, you don't get that number divided by twenty seven and a half. You get that number divided by twenty seven and a half times eight over twelve. Like there's tables that my point is there's depreciation tables in software that handle it. Okay. Rule of just broadly speaking, every other year besides the first and the last year, your what your basis is in this example, eighty five thousand divided by twenty seven and a half is a really good estimate. I mean, or it might even be the actual number. Yeah. But to your point, yeah, your CPA is going to do this when they put their... Now, let me ask another question. Is this like an estimate and then the government comes back and gives you the actual? No. It's no. So the tables are available to anybody that has a tax software or that mean not even tax software. You can go look up depreciation tables and just Google it. But, yeah, I mean, your software is using those tables to calculate the depreciation. But these are tables that I'm responsible... Like, I can... Yeah. If I wanted to do the land worth 10%. Correct. You and could. what I could. And there's no like. Correct. There's nobody audit. There's nobody. I mean, I guess if you got audited and you said, I have no land value. Eh, maybe okay. not debatable. If gotcha. you said 10 to 20, I think you're fine. So this is in the camp of like, you can reasonably corroborate yeah. that this is. Yeah, I think uh, it's common best, sense. Your best shot at it. If you bought a $100,000 property, the land's probably worth ten to 15000 I think that's, you know, that's kind of mm-hmm. the common sense. Yeah. But if you bought it, a house um, in a great neighborhood on a big lot for 800000 you said it's all 800000 is the house. I'm going to depreciate. Well, if you got audited, they would look at they that. Could. And then they could make you pay. They could the say, th- well, you're depreci- you were depreciating 800000 It really should have been about six seventy five. Okay. And the difference, you were not going to allow. Yeah. All right, cool. I just didn't know. No, how, that's, that's how the kind it, of questions I want because those are like the little details I think people don't ask yeah, about. And they get no one knows about. what's behind the scenes yeah. on this stuff. And you just, because it's like, I mean, when you file a W 2, like they'll tell you, no, you didn't pay enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, even though you've estimated it yeah. throughout the year. Right. So I didn't know if it worked like that. All right, cool. Let's keep, keep going. All right, keep going. So let's kind of think <clears> through. <throat> We've talked. We've talked about in the past basis, right, and depreciation and kind of recapture. So let's be thinking while we're on this depreciation kind of kick, let's think that through. So if you bought the house for 100 and we said only 85000 was depreciable, but it still means your basis in the whole thing is 100 right? Mm-hmm. Only 85000 is what you can depreciate, but you still paid 100 Okay. Your hundred, your hundred thousand. Now you've taken thirty one hundred of depreciation. So now your basis would be what ninety six thousand nine hundred. Okay. So again, let's just say after a year you say I'm done with this. I don't want to be in the rental business anymore. Just sell it for a hundred thousand. And somebody, I know what most people would think in their mind. I hadn't made anything. In fact, I broke even. But I got to remember. You said the property depreciated down to ninety six thousand nine hundred. Now you sold it for a hundred thousand. You have a $3,100 gain. Does that make sense? Sure. So basically, the thought process around depreciation, and real estate makes the best point. 
honestly, how much does real estate depreciate? The reason most yeah. people buy it is because it produces cash flow and it appreciates. Right. So think in your mind if you're a real estate investor and you buy and you buy a rental property and you're depreciating it for tax purposes, meaning you're taking a slice of the purchase price every year as an expense. If the property hasn't economically depreciated, which again, very unlikely, you're going to have to give the depreciation back as income. And I just walked you through that example. We could play it forward. Let's just say... We go five years. Depreciation is starting one hundred. Let's just call it three. three Let's do do it simple. Yeah. You this is twenty years in the future. Okay. You own the property. Let's say twenty seven and a half years. Let's, let's just right. say that's you, what I mean. You, yeah. yeah, you've depreciated the whole thing, so yeah. you have no basis left. Well, your only basis would be the fifteen thousand dollar land. Remember, we mm-hmm. don't depreciate that. So we had a hundred thousand dollar purchase price. We said fifteen percent is land. We set that to the side. We don't depreciate it. On the 85000 that we said was the cost of the house, we depreciated that down to zero. So now we have a, we have a basis of 15000 Make sense? Mm-hmm. We sell that thing for 300000 So this is 27 and a half years. You could reasonably assume that thing's going to go up at least double. But let's just say it's worth 300000 When you sell it for 300000 you have a $285,000 gain. You don't have a $200,000 gain. Which would be the purchase price, the sales price less the purchase price. Okay. Because think about it. You've used up your basis. You've gotten, let me say it another way. You've gotten a depreciation deduction for something that hasn't depreciated. It's appreciated. So you got to yeah. reconcile that. Okay. Like you can't just say, I took a depreciation deduction and you go, great, that no, no, no harm. No, <laughs> you got to give it back. Okay. All right. So let's talk about what that looks like. And that three hundred, so that's the that's the way down the road. We sell it for three hundred. All right, so we have a three hundred thousand dollar sale price. We depreciated it down to fifteen thousand, which basically we we got rid of all of our basis of the house. We're only left with the land. So how? So I have a two hundred eighty five thousand dollar gain. Okay. Now there's rules around how that gain gets taxed based on what it relates to. So the, per, so the part of the gain that is essentially what the, the difference between what you sold for and what you paid for it. So in our example, $300,000 sale price, $100,000 purchase price, that appreciation, $200,000, is capital gain. We talked about that before. That receives preferential treatment. If it's a long-term capital gain, you could be taxed as low as 15% and as high as 23.8. But that, that's much different than the ordinary income tax rates, which almost go up to 40%. Mm-hmm. So that's, why, that's also a great benefit, right? It's a capital asset. When you sell it and it appreciates, the appreciation part of your gain gets preferential treatment. Okay. But you said, Marcus, the gain's 285. It's not 200. Well, we just took the 200 piece. That's the appreciation piece. Now, let's take the 85,000, which is you giving back. The depreciation is what they call recapture. Makes, when you say mm-hmm. it, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. That $85,000 recapture is limited to 25% maximum you'll pay on it. Think about it this way. If you were in high tax brackets in those years where you had the real estate, say 32, 37, you were getting a 32 or 37% benefit of the depreciation deduction, but you only pay tax on it when you recapture it at 25%. So it's a cool little arbitrage there. Yeah. You know, it's one of the, so on the appreciation, let's recap, appreciation 15 to 23.8. On the recapture, maxed at 25, but could be lower mm-hmm. if you're in a lower tax bracket. So that's already, you could see where that's kind of a cool thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's in the future, right? Right. What about like 
I mean, most people are getting this monthly. Yep. You know, getting a monthly rent check. Yep. And what are the advantages, you know, there, if any, in in terms of like when when you actually own it and it's cash flowing? Well, I think I think the th- what I say about real estate always, and and I say this, I'm like, why don't I own more of it? Like I say yeah. I say this out loud, but it, it really is true. It's one of the places in the in the in the world in terms of investing where you get appreciation, cash flow, and minimal tax because of the depreciation benefits. Mm-hmm. And assuming you hold it, so on this depreciation recapture and capital gain, that's only if you sell. Mm-hmm. If you continue to hold. You're not going to, you really aren't going to pay that much in taxes because as we walk through it, you're not, you know, you're not making that much economically when you include depreciation. So if you don't sell and have to recapture the depreciation, you're getting those three things appreciation, cash flow, minimal tax. Yeah. And so I guess you're looking for ideally, I'm looking at these numbers here and maybe you can spell it out for us. Is in this situation, you made, well, I'm guessing it looks like most people is the taxable income less than the cash than, flow. Than the cash yes. flow. Yeah. In this example, it kind of worked out close. Yeah. But as the bigger the property gets, i.e. the bigger, and these are just rough numbers, but yes, generally, and, and, and they're kind of skewed because the cash flow is close to the taxable income. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, your cash flow and taxable income do have a little bit of a disparity, and that's, that's in, inherently the benefit. Right. Is that I'm getting cash flow, let's just say, 10 grand a year, but I may be only paying tax on four. Right. That's, that's, that's kind of nice. And so this is why people build real estate portfolios right. where it's like, okay, they might be pulling in like 100 grand and maybe paying tax on sixty. Yeah, exactly. And let's let's also let's also think about it. If you make real estate income, it doesn't carry self employment tax. So, like, if you worked for a hundred grand, you got a W two wage and somebody paid you hundred grand, mm-hmm. they take Social Security, and Medicare from you. So already that's seven point six five percent to the better if you have real estate. If you make real estate income, it doesn't. It's not taxed for self employment purposes. It's not like if you had a side hustle. Right. Like right. like like we talked about Schedule C businesses. Like yeah. if you're an Uber driver and the Uber pays you ten grand, you gotta pay self employment on that. Mm-hmm. Not in real estate. So So what what is the breakdown? Because most people are not gonna just solely have real estate income. Yep. They're gonna have possibly a W two right. and then make make a little cash from the rental or they've got, you know, an LLC. Right. How do you divide the money? Does it just get lumped in like everything else? When you file your tax return? Yeah. Yeah, Because the tax return is is that. It's here's all of my sources of income Mm -hmm. added together minus my, you know, either itemized or standard deduction and arriving at taxable income. And then that taxable income is what you work through the brackets. Gotcha. So if you make $10,000 extra on a, on a real estate, on a, you know, on a rental. Yep. That ten just gets added to your ordinary income. Yeah. So, yeah. So you would say you would pay that 10 grand because at the, whatever your marginal rate is, the highest bracket you're in, okay. right? Um, because if you were saying a with and without kind of okay. case study. But I think the point people can leave with here is, generally speaking, the cash flow is more than the taxable income. I think if you can leave with that point, yeah. that kind of starts, okay, then let's carry it forward. And it's somewhat preferential in that it doesn't carry self-employment. It's a whole, you know, self-employment is like, you have income tax, right? But mm-hmm. self-employment is this other secondary tax that Before people— Before you even get to the income. Well, it's in addition to, okay. I would say. And All so right. my point is that also makes it—like you and I both know, you know, I think you know what I'm talking about, some real estate investors, 
who have built up these huge net worths and have never paid hardly any self-employment tax because mm-hmm. they they never had a job, a W-2 age, and they don't have self-employment type income. Right. So it's a huge advantage. You compound that over time where you're making cash flow that you don't pay the tax on all of the cash flow, and it doesn't carry these other taxes. It kind of gives you a leg up. Mm-hmm. Um, so and And if you never sell... Right, you just keep holding. You don't have to have a capital gain or recapture, which those are also preferential. Right. So really, lots of ways that it's it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Is there anything else like this, or is real estate really just kind of got it all? Real estate's. Yeah, I mean, it's not. There's nothing else like it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and um, and we hadn't even you know we I've got a couple other points here I wanted to talk about like well we talked about twelve I said 1250 recapture that's the depreciation recapture. You might, you might be thinking like, okay, what if I do sell? So we talked about that. Let's kind of work through that. I'm sure most people here have heard of a, or have heard of a tax, a 1031 exchange. If you're in the real estate world, you've heard of that. 1031 is an IRS code section. That's what yeah. it refers to. Basically what a 1031 exchange is, and I'm not going to get into all the ins and outs. It's basically where you can say, in my, let's run our example, the $100,000 property that we kept and ultimately sold for three hundred. If you then take the 300,000 proceeds and go buy something else with it, and there's parameters of like how long that takes, I think you've got 90 days to identify yeah. a replacement and then 180 days to close or yeah. something along those lines. If you then take the 300 and go buy something for 400, you don't pay tax on that gain. Right. The gain just gets rolled into the 400. And what I mean by that yeah. is it just reduces your basis in the 400, but you still yeah. have to pay tax. You could run this game. To, and people, uh, to, do. Uh, to people I, do. I've worked for developers where, like, literally guys go shopping and they're like, I want to buy, hey, you're building this neighborhood. I want to buy <laughs> oh, four houses. I need a replacement property. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's not what they're saying, but that's what they right. mean. Yeah. And I so just sold something. And the, so it ends up being, they end up buying in bulk. So they get yeah. better deals yeah. and they were just buying the cash flow. Right. So then now they're just upgrading their, like, and, and then, I mean, yeah, they're just buying more cash flow. So. Well, think of it this way. Think of another thing, too. Let's just say you keep doing 1031 exchanges until you die. Well, what happens at death when you give a property to somebody? It goes, you get a step up in basis, which they're trying to repeal that. But let's just say you die with $10 million of real estate that you've parlayed, essentially, from a $100,000 property. You kept selling, 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 and, mm-hmm. and, and doing 1031 exchanges, mm-hmm. and you ended up with $10 million. Your $100,000 now gets a $10 million basis when you give it to your heirs. It's unbelievable. I'm not following Meaning that. if they sold it the next day for $10 million, they pay zero tax. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a better way to put it. Okay, yeah. That, I so was... step up in basis means I take something that I bought at a low basis and I step it up to the fair market value. Gotcha, whenever you pass when, it When to you your... pass away and give it to the heirs. Yeah. That's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. So... We've kind of come full circle, but now we're talking yeah. your your talking generational now we're talking wealth. legacy here. Yeah. <laughs> you, you went from a hundred thousand dollar property yeah. to a ten million dollar legacy, but but people do it every day. Right. Like literally, I've seen people do this and that's where they started. I bought this little single family, three bedroom, two bath house. Yeah. You know, in a good school district. And then, you know, twenty years later it was worth three hundred and I had forty of them. Yeah. It happens all the time. Right. Now, as I'm saying that, I'm like, why am I not buying more yeah. real estate? Yeah. Well, I'm going to mess around with crypto yeah. and these other things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which have no value, right? We talked about that before. All righty. Well, yeah. I think that's a good, I mean, yeah. this is a good breakdown, yeah. a good place to end it. Hopefully you motivated your, you know, this is another I'm reminder. going shopping after this. Yeah, so I said, another reminder to uh, <laughs> go and look at some houses. Uh, so, um, yeah, we'll leave it there. And um, 
Yeah, we've got we've got quite a few uh, real estate related podcast at this point why don't we drop why don't we why don't we reference those in the show notes yeah Maybe i can't i'll, I'll put this breakdown in the show notes as yeah, well like put um the basis episode and then the two episodes we talked with chris granger and there was a there was another realist yeah. one that we talked about that one may not be as relevant yeah, but, but the chris put, granger one and yeah. then the basis i think would be a good yeah, it'd be good and then we could just kind of give people some some yeah. resources around real estate right yep. Awesome. All right. Well, and if you want more resources, as always, go to mirror.group. You can find out uh, how to get in touch with Marcus there, as well as check out some of the other episodes and um, yeah, and get started on your journey into accounting, um, trading on chaos for total control with yep. accounting um, and start the assessment there as well. Yep. So, all right. All right. See you next that's time. it.